It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. And welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. Today is Sunday, January 6, 2019. Happy New Year, everyone. This is our first show of 2019. And we're looking forward to a really wonderful year of programs. It's been a few weeks, and I hope you all had a great holiday, um, or holidays, I should say. There were a few since um, we've spoken last, and I hope everything was safe. And, and now you're getting ready to have a wonderful year of passion and bringing light into the world. So I hope we can help you with that this year. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this show, is here with us to make sure that the program runs. And we have another great program in store for you this evening. Our theme for this first show of the new year, 2019, is compassion, which is also one of the themes in my book, The Passionate Life, and it's something that I've written about and uh, in blogs and I speak about often on this program. Um, And I'm really glad and excited to be starting off with this theme because I I really think it's important to bring in a passionate life, and I hope that it helps us to make 219 the year of increased compassion for ourselves, for others, and throughout our community and in the world. So we'll do our little part right here to do that. And in a little while after the break, we'll be joined on the phone from Kansas by a best-selling author and life coach, joy expert, and founder of Transform into Joy, Tammy Lee Schumacher, to talk about self-compassion, creating more joy in our lives and relationships, and her new best-selling book, The Second Start, Finding Joy in the New You. And then after that, I will have a group discussion with a very compassionate group of people in New York City, Um, Sister Carol DeAngelo of the Sisters of Charity of New York, and she's also the Director of Office of Peace, Justice, and Integrity of Creation, along with John Alexander Alexander of the Ignatian Volunteer Corps. who has accompanied people facing deportation, as has Sister Carol, as part of New Sanctuary Coalition in New York City, and Bill Hurley, the Sisters of Charity Associate and co-chair of the Immigration Task Force. They will all be joining us together for a group discussion, and they will be discussing having compassion at the border, at our southern border, and what we can do to help and how we can be compassionate and show our compassion. And we will also all together have a broader discussion about compassion in general, what it is, the benefits of compassion for ourselves and for our communities, and how to increase compassion in ourselves 
and in the world. And throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air. And my email address is drmara, D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And if you do have any questions or comments, please be sure to call or email while the guests are still on the program so that they can answer them. And you can hear this evening's program again later by going to my website and the link to the podcast and the show by my guests. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, that's B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years. And for information from this show and updates about upcoming shows, to read the information and listen to the podcast from previous shows, to read my blog, to find out about my book or order my book, order my course, um, watch videos that we've done with interviews who are of, of guests who are local. All of that is at my website, drmarakarpel.com. And you can hear all of the podcasts that we have done with Blog Talk Radio over the last five years by going directly to blogtalkradio.com slash yourgoldenyears. And for up-to-the-minute news about things that are coming up, shows that are coming up, blogs that are posted, uh, book signings, any news, follow me on Facebook because that's where you'll get the up-to-the-minute news. And my Facebook page is Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in, I'm a licensed psychologist from New York City practicing here in Austin and and in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And I work with adults of all ages and have a specialty of working with seniors and caregivers and for the past few years have also been evaluating veterans for PTSD. And part of the time, my office is in the wonderful Veterans Resource Center, Heroes Night Out, which is located in Cedar Park, Texas. And for information about this great resource for veterans and for veterans' families, you can check out their website, heroesnightout.org. Do you want to contact me? Do you have a question that you want to ask or some information that you want me to know about? Feel free to send me an email to drmara, D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com, or go through my website and click on contact at drmarakarpel.com, or call me at 512-626-973. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by Dr. Ronald DeVere, neurologist, memory specialist, and author of the book, Memory Loss, Everything You Want to Know But Forget to Ask, 
to make an appointment with Dr. DeVere at his memory clinic in Lakeway, Texas, or to purchase a copy of his book, you can call him at 512-261-7909 or send him an email to rdevere, that's R-D-E-V-E-R-E, at austin.rr.com. And his book is also available on Amazon. And this evening's program is also sponsored by StoryHouse. StoryHouse gathers your stories and turns them into multimedia collections that can be shared now and for generations to come. Have StoryHouse over to conduct a private interview in your home or invite them to your next big event or family reunion. StoryHouse, where your memories live. Find out more at yourstoryhouse.com or call 512-296-8752. Okay, we're going to take a brief break. We're going to play a few of our sponsors' commercials. And when we come back, we'll be joined on the phone by author, best-selling author, life coach, joy expert, and founder of Transform Into Joy, Tammy Lee Schumacher, to talk about self-compassion, creating more joy in our lives and our relationships, and her new best-selling book, The Second Start finding joy in the new you. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Merrick Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on Blog Talk Radio and on drmarakarpell.com. And joining me on the phone from Kansas, we have best-selling author, life coach, joy expert, and founder of Transform Into Joy, Tammy Lee Schumacher. Welcome, Tammy. Hi, Mara. Thank you so much. I'm actually giggling at myself a little bit uh, <laughs> because I didn't I didn't press one. So it's like I better go reread the instructions of how to join you on this show. <laughs> so well, you made it. Right, you're here. Yay! <laughs> it's like it's one one of the things that I teach people a lot is not being all tied up in knots about when the small stuff happens. So don't sweat the small stuff, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so Tammy, um, before we talk about your book and, and what you do and all of that and self-compassion, um, why don't you 
tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a former teen mom. When I was 17, a senior in high school, I became pregnant. And I also live on a farm south of Victoria, Kansas. I don't know why I had to put that in there, but we live on a farm where our grandchildren, which I'm a grandmother of 13 now, are the sixth generation to actually be here. I actually know how to help people make shift happen. I've earned over 200 mom years, and I bring a message of empowerment, self-realization, and perseverance to my clients and to other people around me to offer deep insights and effective simple tips on how to have it all. Mm -hmm. I embody joy, and I've done that most of my life, yet there's even more and more and more of that. The more I do my work, the more I am present in my life, the more joy actually comes through. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I met you in person, and I can vouch for that. <laughs> you are filled with joy and have a contagious laugh. And I honestly did not know that my laugh was a gift. And I know we're going to talk about my book and other things later, but realizing mm-hmm. gifts, it, even though I'm 56 now, I didn't even know that was a gift of mine until I was 40 years old. And I wanted to share that also on this with this time with you because a lot of people don't realize that they're gifts that sometimes we don't know what they are until we're older. And usually it's something mm-hmm. that's so simple and have been with us our whole life that I did not even hear the compliments of my laugh when I was a teenager and in my younger years. Mhm. And that's so true. You know that we we often don't know what our gifts are until we're older. So, you know, I want to talk about your book um because I as I told you in our conversation earlier, I really enjoyed reading the book. Even though I know it was your story, I felt like I was reading a novel and I was it was gripping. I wanted to know what happened next. Um, so maybe, and but there were a lot of things in the book that I really resonated with in, in terms of the lessons, and maybe you can talk a little bit about your book and what you, inspired you to write it. Well, I, this month, I will be married 39 years. However, wow. five years ago, yeah, that's a pretty big accomplishment to the same person. I have five children, and people, when they find that out, they they look at me like, all by the same dad, by the uh, same guy, uh, by the same father? Yes, yes, yes. And yet, um, five years ago, when I was, you know, that 50, 51 year, it's like I was done with my marriage. I was, I was done. And... I left, and not knowing that that was actually the greatest gift, I had no clue that that would be the greatest gift I ever gave to my husband and to my family. Annihilated paradigms, 
that we mm-hmm. had no idea were not even were not helping our relationship. And we did work things out about six months later. We flew out to Beverly Hills. So we live in Kansas, and we flew out to Beverly Hills to work with a former mentor of mine with him and his wife one-on-one. And I know that that was the only reason we were actually able to work it out because we had done all kinds of different programs or counseling or therapy, but nothing ever stuck long-term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We still have our things. We still have, but it me leaving was a catalyst for me. And I never really knew, Mara, that this was even a story to be told until I was with a group. I was in a mastermind group, and I'm there in person, and I'm telling the story how me and Tim, how I left, and we started to work on our marriage again six months later, even though I was convinced I was done. Everything in my body said I was done, or I never would have walked out the door because the day, the moment I left was a Sunday night, November 13th, 2013, November 10th, 2013. That was uh-huh. the most terrifying moment of walking out. Having five kids, completely natural, piece of cake. All of that combined, piece of cake compared to walking out on my marriage. Because I went from my hus- from my father's house to my husband's house. Never been out on my own. Never knew I could make a go of it, take care of myself. And that became a callus also for me. And the healing that I had no idea that was so deep inside of me that I required to do by getting my own place, by being only Mm -hmm. responsible for myself. Because for, golly, I was 50, 50, 51. And so from 17 to 50, you guys do the math. I've always been taking care of everyone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was on the back burner. I, you know, I start to come up maybe on the second burner at times, but not to the point to where I was. And as I was in this mastermind group, and I'm telling this story, two women, they looked at me and such a force came through them because I always knew I was going to write a book ever since I was a senior in high school. I always knew that, mm-hmm. but I wasn't sure what that book was going to be what that story would be. And this force came through them that said, Tammy, you have to write that book. So much came through them. I knew it was beyond them. I mm-hmm. knew it was the voice of God, the, the, the energy of the universe of God, whatever you desire to call that highest, highest power came through them to tell me that. And it set me back in my chair I was sitting in. And my jaw dropped. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And right there and then, because I asked, how do I write a book that's not a poor me, sappy, whiny book, but that will help people, that will facilitate healing in others, 
that will assist others to to infuse different tips and golden nuggets into their life and bring mm-hmm. them up out of their despair to help them to find hope again. And right there and then, one of the ladies got me in contact with her book coach. And within 12 to 18 hours, I'm writing my book right then and there. Wow. During that mastermind weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, so, it was astonishing. You know, your, your book, you know, gives a lot of details about, you know, what happened and what you were going through. And then the the lessons you learned, um, maybe you can share with our listeners, you know, from your experiences, your personal experiences, and then also your coaching practice, um, what, you know, what tips do you have for people both for themselves and in being able to find that passion that maybe they've been putting on the back burner most of their life or or anything related to relationships and how we relate to, you know, uh, not all of the book was about your marriage. I mean, it, it was it was like the marriage was the symptom of a lot of other things, but some of it had to do with relationship issues. So maybe you have some some tips based on your expertise and and experience. Well, this is what I work with a lot of my clients in regards to putting ourselves first. I never knew that I could do that. I never, and most women, especially in, you know, I'm finding from probably about 40 Mm -hmm. to 80, they never knew that they could put themselves first. Who am I to do that? I'm a mom or I'm a grandma or we require to, we absolutely require and it's selflessness. It's not being selfish, but to do it in such a way that we are taking care of ourselves to where we feed our soul. This is something that mm-hmm. I realize is a lot of my soul had been fragmented off. And so I help a lot of my clients to recall those pieces of their soul to come back to them. Mm-hmm. A couple of ways we do that and to start speaking our truth. When we volunteer for something, when somebody asks us and how many times, and raise your hand, how many times do you say yes when you feel deep down inside you really want to say no? So you're right. not giving a true yes. Mm-hmm. And you're not speaking mm-hmm. your truth. And it's okay to say no. So when we say Yes, when we mean no. And this is a simple example. We are fragmenting our soul off. And because that piece of our, like, oh, my gosh, I was not true to myself. I was not seeking my truth, nor was I being true to myself. I really Mm -hmm. wanted to say no. I say no to my own children. I say no to my own grandchildren. And in ways of, like, Mom, can you watch the kids? Well, did you ask your sisters first? Did you? So I give them other ways to go around that to help even my own children to see that they have different resources. 
am I there to do that? You bet. But this way, I help them to also be more responsible and accountable, which I do that with my clients, for where they're at in their lives. Mm-hmm. Some, some right. of the different um, – so you asked about, you know, some of the simple tips. So that's a simple tip. Put on your calendar. This I used to just live by the seat of my pants when I was raising my kids because I didn't know that I could put myself first on my calendar. When you uh-huh. know, being a young, I had no role model. I had no role model. Um, so I always put my kids first above everything, even above myself. I thought that was the way we were supposed to. That I was supposed to do this. Right. The first time I heard. Tammy, put yourself first on your calendar. I'm like, well, I, I was shocked. I didn't even know I could do that. And it sounds so simple, but when when you're raised a certain way, and because here's the thing also, I grew up never feeling loved. Mm-hmm. I committed when I was pregnant at 17, my child will no, but not just no in their mind, to feel, to feel in their heart and their soul that they are loved no matter what. They are loved. They have a safe place to land. Mm-hmm. And I also am like that with my clients because a lot of people, because when you, in my own experience and the people I work with, growing, that leads to not ever feeling like you're good enough. Mm-hmm. I work with a lot of people that feel like, and I was like this, feeling like I was never good enough. I remember when I was like 11, 10 or 11, standing at the window at our address on our, in our home, my parents were still together then, thinking, wondering why I was even alive. At 11, mm-hmm. 10 to 11 years old. And I thought, I must be adopted. Because why don't my parents love me? Why am I so unlovable? Mm. What's wrong with me? So, I mean, that's a pivotal point in such a young child's life. Sure. Of really feeling like they're not loved. What's, What's wrong with me? Why am I not good enough? So many people are are being raped and not by, and I don't blame my parents. That's just the way it was. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, they don't set out to, to create that. It's not of their course. intention of saying, Oh, I'm going to raise my child. So she doesn't feel like she's loved. It just what it was. Mm-hmm. It is what mm-hmm. it is. And what, and was what it was. Right. So, um, so that's why well, I, I was committed and determined uh-huh. to raise my children with that, to know, to feel beyond a shadow of a doubt, they are loved. Mm-hmm. Yet, I was so committed to that, I always gave to them first before I gave to myself, which depleted me beyond, mm-hmm. almost took my life. It depleted mm-hmm. me like that. Common, Tammy. I think that you know, uh, you and I were 
talking earlier, and I was saying that, you know, we came from different parts of the country. I came from the city. You came from the country. You had five children. By the time you were 30, I was just getting out of graduate school at 30. But yet, the growing up as a woman at that time, growing up female at the time that we grew up, and so, you know, I think it's continued for a while, um, that there was a message that we had to put other people first. That's our job. Always put other people first. That if you focus on yourself, then you're selfish. Mm-hmm. And um, and also, you know, the feeling of not being as important. So that's I right. think that's a really common theme. And it's up to us to first take the accountability and responsibility for where our lives are at. That's like one of the number, that's like in the top three. And once we take that back, we're we're also taking back some of our own power that we've given away. Does it feel good all the time? No. Like, really? I'm responsible for where my life's at? Are you kidding me? (laughs) But yes, we are. Okay, so we know this. It's not about beating ourselves up. It's not about guilt or shame. It's about, okay, this is where I'm at. Now, how do I get to where I want to be? Mm-hmm. And as I work with people, it's also what is a continual process? I, one of my clients I was just working with is creating a non-existent future with our thoughts and our mind and the things that we start to get into the the why and why am I this, why am I that? Well, when we when we stop that, when we stop creating a non-existent future that is adding anxiety and depression to ourselves, that add into, you know, making us stuck and confused and we end up getting blocked. I help them to see how they're creating this non-existent future with their thoughts and how it is making them spiral down. Mm-hmm. I help, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of women, I work on their womb and help them to, to, because let's face it, ladies, and I'm speaking to you right here. How many of you say you love your bellies? This is your womb space. And I help them to start loving their bodies, to start to have a relationship. Once we start having a relationship with ourselves, no matter what we look like, it's a, mm-hmm. having a relationship with ourselves first. Then we can have a better relationship with, with somebody else in the moment or later or, you know, whether it's a significant other, whether it's our children, whether because not everybody has a child, right? Maybe mm-hmm. you're the greatest aunt or the best uncle, whoever it is, or a relationship with a grandparent, whatever that is. So here's one tip that is so valuable. When you're in conversation, because this is something that comes up a lot, is I hear, I'm very good at hearing, not only, that's one of my spiritual gifts, is I can hear 
your room, your house. I can hear your ancestors come through that want to speak to you. I can hear somebody from the other side that's passed away. They want to come through and share something with you. But I can also hear your soul. How do you Mm -hmm. talk to yourself? Do you have sarcasm? Uh, There's so much sarcasm that people speak with. Or they say something that's kind of half halfway jokingly, but there's sarcasm layered in there. And people do not realize this. Sarcasm comes from anger. Hmm. Underlying of the sarcasm, there's anger. Under the anger, there's hurt. There's disappointment. There's sadness. There's all of this underlying energy that people are not realizing. So I help them to see that, to clear that, to transmute that. So when you're in conversation with somebody and somebody has a different tone that feels disrespectful, they may not realize it. Number one, they may not realize it. You may take, it might trigger you. So in the moment you say, do you want to do over on that? Do you want to do over Mm -hmm. on that? Do you see Uh how just saying that already lightens Uh up the conversation instead of getting defensive well, you said this and you said that, blah, blah, blah. Just stop yourself, take a breath. Do you want to do over on that? Mm-hmm. And, it kind of, and it already lightens up the energy of the conversation. I, I allow like my kids to even do that with me. I always did as they were growing up, by the grace of God, this is how I say it, by the grace of God, somehow I knew to raise my kids being allowed to speak their truth. If it was mm-hmm. sarcasm, if they had their tone of voice, so it's always about the tone. Even as I speak, do I have a tone to my voice? My husband, my children, my grandchildren also. Anybody, I, they have the, I've given them permission. If you hear my tone is not conducive to the conversation, if it sounds disrespectful, call me on it. Mm-hmm. Giving other people the permission to call you on your stuff. And I will tell you, everyone, I'm serious. I will tell uh-huh. you the first time my husband did that. Because the first time he said, and this is what we learned through our, our intense couple counseling, is actually that phrase. Would you like uh-huh. to do over on that? And the first time he said that, I looked at him like, What? Me? I don't need a do-over. You're the one that needs to do-over all the time. But it helped us to start laughing. It lightens up the conversation, and we start laughing. And I'm like, are you serious? But then it opened up a channel for my Mm -hmm. husband to show me because he didn't know how to say something like that to me. Right. Because as my kids were growing up, it was always about, What's your, you know, it's what's your tone of voice? Now repeat it. That was my phrase. Uh-huh. But I wouldn't tell my husband, what's your tone of voice? Right. I never said that to him. Had I said that, then maybe I didn't know I could say that to my husband. Who, oh, right. seriously? I can tell, but having the phrase, would you like a do over on that? Right. Like, that just totally lightens things up. So take that phrase with you. If you so, even to yourself. Mhm. Mhm. 
So, Tammy, we have just a couple of minutes left. Time goes by so fast. But Gosh, I want does. you to, it does, I want you to let people know how they can find out about your coaching and also how they can buy your book. Well, you can go to my website. It's www.transformintojoy.com. Again, it's transformintojoy.com. Mm-hmm. You can contact me. My phone number's on there. My book is on there. My The different, you know, one-on-one coaching session, it's all on my website. Again, that is www.transformintojoy.com. You can also contact me through Facebook, Tammy Lee Shoemaker. And let's get on the phone and talk. And I can lead you through the different things that I do and how I can help you. And if I can't, I'll let you know. But I can refer you to somebody that can. Because I will tell you, everyone that I work with, the the rapid change, every session, rapid change. Bam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you can do this all virtual so people can be in any part of the country or the world and speak That's with you, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that is correct. By phone okay. or by Skype. Great. And I'm going to post that. Um, website link on the website post about this show after the program is over. So if people didn't have their pen and paper ready, they can just go and um, it'll be there later tonight. Fantastic. All right. So um, I love the book, so I do highly recommend that people read the book because there are a lot of lessons in the book. And I have had a phone conversation with Tammy, and it was extremely helpful. So I, I recommend, I recommend, recommend you, Tammy. So thank you so much, Mara. <laughs> and thank you so much for being on the program. Um, I love your energy. It's really, you know, captivating. We could talk all night. So you you have to come back. Oh, it would be my pleasure and an absolute honor. Great. Great. So let's be in touch. Definitely. And and you have a very good evening. Thank you so much, Mara. All right. Take care. All right. So um, we're going to take a brief break. Um, Don't go anywhere because the topic of compassion continues and we'll be joined by Sister Carol DeAngelo, Bill Hurley, and John Alexander to talk about compassion. So we will be right back. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpell.com.
And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on Love Talk Radio and on drmaracarpell.com. And before we go to our guest, I do want to just give you a, a little bit of a news update. Um, uh, if you're interested in reading any of my blogs, they are posted on my website, drmaracarpell.com. And I started a new series. Um, for the new year. So I'll be posting a blog a week for a few weeks about how to jumpstart living your passionate life in 2019. And um, also my online course, I have decided to launch it in April rather than in February because I I really want to give everybody a chance to participate in the course creation if they want to. So if you've read the book and you have something that you want me to go um, into in more depth, then you can contact me and I will do that in the course. So that will be available for pre-sale this week. Um, and if you pre if you buy it during pre-sale, it'll be half price. So um, those are the two major things, and I'll, I will give you more news later. And now I do want to um, go to our guests, Sister Carol DeAngelo, Bill Hurley, and John Alexander. Um, I want to mention that while I was on a trip to visit my mom at the beginning of December, I ended up being invited to lunch with the Sisters of Charity of New York. Um, they had posted a statement on social media about their stand, having compassion for asylum seekers and refugees at our southern border, and I wanted to invite them to be on the show. So I had a wonderful lunch with this very passionate group of nuns at their home, and now I am joined by Sister Carol De- DeAngelo from the Sisters of Charity as well as Bill Hurley um, and John Alexander, who are associates. And we are going to talk about the issue of compassion at our southern border, as well as all of the ways that they're involved in that, and the issue of compassion in general, and how it benefits ourselves to be compassionate, as well as our community. So welcome, everyone. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, why don't we start with maybe a little introduction, each, each one of you maybe talking a little bit about um, yourself and who you are. Maybe Sister Carol, maybe we can start with you. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, thank you for the invitation for us to, to join you and your listeners. Um, maybe just by way of an introduction. I am a Sister of Charity of New York, and uh, I'm, I'm very glad that Bill Hurley and John uh, is a, are able to join me because one of the things that we as Sisters of Charity realized, even though we were begun, well, 1809 when St. Elizabeth Ann Seton uh, founded the community in Emmitsburg, and then we came to New York in 1817, um, we've been very involved with immigrants since our very beginning. And the charism of charity, 
um, that's our gift, and I see that very much as uh, as compassion. So I'd just like to say, um, and I can say more a little bit later, my particular job or ministry is the director of the Office of Peace, Justice, and Integrity of Creation. So as a vowed religious and as a person, a woman, um, a U.S. citizen, as a, a person who really um, is trying to live the gospel, we see ourselves very um, committed to um, journeying with um, migrants and committed to the issue of the global um, challenge of migration today and certainly the challenge in our own country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I... I love the title of your office, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> and perhaps I can talk more after John and, and Bill because, um, it, as you can see, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a bit long title and uh, sometimes hard to understand. It certainly is a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So thank you for joining us. I thank really you. I really appreciate it. Um, maybe we could go to Bill. Sure. Um, I'm I'm what's known as an associate of the Sisters of Charity, and that's basically a lay member of the congregation who identifies with their charism, and the charism of the Sisters of Charity is to walk with the poor and the needy. Um, and that's something that I, um, I've had a great... Um, uh, passion for from most of my adult life. I've, I've been an associate for 19 years. Um, I also help the program with a newsletter that we publish every three months. Uh, I had been employed with the sisters since 1996 uh, as their director of development, and that was basically um, where I um, Really had the fire lit, and I and I realized how much I identified with the with the congregation. And then I retired in 2014, and um, working on the immigration committee and some other projects is a way for me to uh, stay involved. Mhm, mhm. Okay, well, welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Um, and how about you, John? Well, I came to my work with the Sisters of Charity recently through the Ignatian Volunteer Corps, or IVC. And the IVC works in partnership with dozens and maybe even hundreds of community organizations and matches the talents of experienced volunteers, mostly north of the age of 50, uh, with these nonprofit organizations who are seeking to serve people who have kind of slipped through the the country's safety net. A special aspect of of IPC's program is a regular spiritual reflection uh, that takes place in a gathering of volunteers and which is rooted in the Jesuit tradition of Ignatian spirituality. I think one way to think of IVC and their mission and the work that I and other volunteers do is that it's, it's in a way, it's compassion in action. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm bringing um, when I come to the sisters to help them specifically in the area of immigration to be their eyes and ears and legs uh, 
uh, to various organizations and, and groups in, to which they've long been committed and report back to them on important developments on immigration issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, welcome, John. Um, you know, it, it sounds like you're all extremely involved in the in the immigration issues, and maybe we can start. I just want to ask if anybody's listening on the live stream to lower that because it's coming back as feedback, just so you know that. Um, but I'd love to have you talk about what you're doing um, with regard to this immigration issue. Well, uh, perhaps I, um, I'll just begin and then um, would really like um, Bill and John to, to share um, the, the great work that they're doing. Um, I could probably speak for a long time on some of the direct services that um, the Sisters of Charity of New York are involved in uh, because through, our, through um, a multi-service center, through a center um, that teaches English um, language, um, U.S. citizenship, um, through the, um, the support systems that we give to people. There's a lot of direct service, but um, Bill uh, can probably explain more what our immigration, we call it Task Force Immigration um, a Committee, does by way of raising awareness, advocacy. Um, he really... Um, initiated and implemented um, a special project of ours that, um, for this coming National Migration Week, which actually begins today. So the Sisters of Charity um, do things certainly personally, but as a congregation, we are very involved in um, certainly ways that we can support financially um, through um, even sometimes giving donations to help pay the exorbitant fees when people, uh, if they can pay uh, their um, bond, they will be able to get out of detention. So these are people who really um, have no money themselves and are um, in detention centers just because they don't have uh, the money. That could be um, above 5000 6000 7000 uh, even more dollars to pay. So we've tried to um, give donations towards that. We've um, been very involved systemically in trying to address some of the systemic problems around migration, certainly way back trying to um, urge for comprehensive immigration reform. Right now, really, um, the care of the children who are in detention. So uh, those, are, those are some of the things that we're doing. Okay. What, okay. What, um, what we have done through... Um, through the task force, which Sister Carol established in her office, um, we, um, as she said, we raise awareness, educate, and advocate uh, for a just and compassionate immigration policy, um, primarily on the federal level. Um, some of the things we have worked on is the family separation issue at the border, mm, uh, mm-hmm. detention, detention center issues, and... Um, we may go and um, appear at the detention centers just to show um, uh, support of the people that are there. Um, we have tried very hard in, in many ways to reform our immigration policies um, and 
to do that, we've um, some of us have met basically on all levels with with county, state, and federal representatives, elected officials. Um, one of the projects we work on here in New York is, is called Greenlight, which is an attempt um, to get uh, undocumented individuals the ability to have a legitimate driver's license so that they can get to and from work um, and won't be uh, stopped on the road um, and constantly get tickets that they're not able to afford to pay. And then they get uh, ruled against in the court, and then they have this on their record. Uh, mm -hmm. recently, recently, we um, worked on a project uh, for National Migration Week. And that's that was something that's been set up for a few years by the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops. Um, and we worked with them um, because we agree with with most of their stances um, and also it gives us a, a greater legitimacy when we're talking to people uh, who may not know the Sisters of Charity, etc. Uh, and um, what we did for National Migration Week, which begins today, incidentally, on Epiphany Sunday, uh, uh -huh. we, decided, we decided to send a letter um, to 296 pastors, all of the pastors of the Archdiocese of New York. And in that letter, we included a prayer for migrants, various intercessions that they could say at Mass, a notice for their bulletins, um, and various suggestions for homilies so that they could uh, present today, um, which celebrates the, the wise men visiting, um, arriving to visit the, uh, the the baby Jesus, uh, we um, thought it was the best day um, to push for this program in the sense that the theme is love your neighbor, and hopefully today in many of our parishes um, we can see that theme being played out. I know it played out very well in a parish in Manhattan. Uh, my own parish did not mention it at all. Um, uh -huh. And this this is what frustrates us, um, that par parishioners are not getting fed this message. Um, you know, the bishops write about it and everything else, but people don't read that. We need to hear it from mm -hmm. the pulpit. Um, this morning at Mass, I I was reading our, um, our little missalette that's distributed across the country, and there's a phrase in today explaining today's Mass, um, there are no foreigners in Christ. And I, that really hit me, and um, I think that's what I need to follow up with a number of parishes on. Um, mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So um, mm -hmm. that's, that's basically where we're at with our task force. Right. Okay. And um, that was John. Bill, right? John? Yeah, so this is John. I, as, as an example of... of the kind of thing I do on behalf of the, the sisters, it, one thing I do is to participate in the accompany pro program of the new Sanctuary Coalition of New York, which is an interfaith network um, that seeks to stand in solidarity with families and communities that are resisting detention and deportation in order to keep the families together. And this uh, involves helping out in their regular pro bono legal clinics at which immigrants can get information about and support in dealing with 
the U.S. immigration system. The other thing um, uh, that is included in this is a an accompaniment program whereby um, New Sanctuary Coalition volunteers such as myself would accompany immigrants to court hearings and other interactions with the system. And I think this is particularly, this is germane to the topic at hand of compassion because this is really a, an act of silent witnessing. Uh, accompaniment mm -hmm. uh, translates on, uh, largely as witnessing on behalf of immigrants and also providing moral support in what can be a dehumanizing and stressful situation. There's no active uh, participation or role in the immigration court proceedings, but it simply sends the message to the court that these individuals have support in the community, and it sends the message to the immigrants that they are not entirely alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the message is these are human beings. <laughs> exactly. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe we can talk a bit about that whole issue of compassion because, you know, that was the thing that really struck me and made me re feel like I needed to have stars on the program. Um, was, you know, I live I live here in Texas. I'm, you know, very close to the border. At times I work actually down at South Texas right near the border. And so it feels very... I mean, it feels very close to home. <laughs> and mm. um, when I hear people talking about this issue, um, it, re it you know, I hear I'm amazed that some of the most, the people that I have thought to be very compassionate have been very caring about um, family members, friends, people in their community, maybe people in their church or temple, um, people, you know, veterans who are concerned about veterans, you know, other veterans and their families. But then I've seen those some, some of the same people turn away from these immigrants and, and, and not have that level of compassion and say, well, you know, that's their own fault. They came this far and they shouldn't have come here or we don't have room for them or that sort of thing. And um, I really don't know how to deal with that. <laughs> so well, if, maybe... If I may, I, mm -hmm. I think what you said just now is very important because uh, I have found in doing this work that when I... Talk to people I encounter or people I know about what I'm doing, I get a similar mix of uh, emotions and reactions to what you just described. And I've kind of um, come to the conclusion that this too is an opportunity to exercise compassion vis a vis uh, my fellow citizens who. Uh, are afraid or who are misinformed or who, uh, for one reason or another, have lost sight of the humanity of the, uh, of the issue. 
So compassion really needs to be brought to all all parties. Mhm. Mhm. Right. Having compassion for the people who have difficulties having compassion. <laughs> sure. Um yes. I I live in a um uh upstate New York uh, about 60 miles north of New York City and I live in a very um conservative county. Um and I am amazed at the people uh, who don't want to hear about these issues. Uh, they just don't believe um, that uh, folks are suffering. They don't believe the, um, the asylum issue. They think everybody's making it up just to get in this country, etc. And I often tell people about, there was a, a, there's a gentleman I know up here in Orange County, and he left Mexico about eight years ago, and he brought with him his six siblings, The youngest was six months old. And why did he leave? Because both of his parents were abusing every one of the children. And he Mm -hmm. could not stay in Mexico because he knew his father would find them. So he basically had no choice for the survival of him and his siblings but to come to America. And I, I just don't understand how people could say that family does not belong here. That's what we're all about. Um, mm-hmm. And it, um, uh, people, people just, you know, they don't believe it. They, they, you know, some people have said, "Oh, that guy's making it up." Right, right, right. Well, just like people have said that the children in the detention centers were, you know, they were being treated uh, very well, and that maybe they were, you know being protected from sex trafficking, mm-hmm. um, the human trafficking, and that's why it was good for them to be in detention centers. But when now now we know when people have gone into those detention centers that looked at the conditions, they're, they're pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Yes. And most mm-hmm. of those cases we know are, are really their their parents. <laughs> yeah, and we, I, you know, I I hear that uh, different media companies basically falsify those what they're what they're filming, and we're not seeing the truth. Um, mm. People just don't want to believe it, and uh, we live with so many lies today um, that everybody feels it's basically okay, um, and that um, uh, I don't have to believe what I what I see and hear. Um, because it doesn't match my conscience. Right. Well, I think that's a really good point, what you just said, about how it, it doesn't match my conscience. You know, most people want to see themselves as compassionate people. Um, yes. <laughs> On a one-to-one level with a fellow American. <laughs> um, right. And that's, um, that's, you know, this this is a larger issue than that. And I... I strongly feel people are not following their faith and that we're really um, taught in many different faiths um, to have compassion for all people and that we're all creatures of God. Um, mm-hmm. For me, I look, at, I look at compassion as the human expression of God's love. And, and mm. when I find an opportunity to be compassionate, I really feel it's been a gift given to me that I can reach out to somebody 
um, and let them um, let them feel a little touch of of God. Right, and you know, and how how do you feel when you do that? I always feel good, um, uh, mm-hmm. for sure. And sometimes it's a delicate situation. Um, you know, I work um, a lot in with the nutrition programs uh, for the poor up here in Orange County. And at our food pantry, we get a lot of volunteers. We have a very large food pantry. And um, a number of our volunteers, after people pass through their table where they pick up various items, they'll they'll say, can you believe that woman showed up in a in a brand-new car? Or did you see the clothes on that lady? Um, she doesn't need our food. Um, and that's, uh-huh. I heard that a few times, and I had finally said that when I hear that, I have to speak up. And I quietly speak to the person um, and let them realize that they don't know the family situation. And in many cases, we have people, yes, who don't need the food, but they're there for somebody else. And only Mm -hmm. very few people know the story behind that. So we should not be there judging. And there's there's too much that going on. Right. Um. Mara, what I'd just like to, to bring to the, the conversation is, and thank you, because um, I think part of this gift of having this conversation um, is I hope your listeners will take it and then maybe have their own conversations with people. Because one of the things that we know is we all see things so differently and we um, have different perspectives on things. And uh, in preparation for this show, I was asking some of my relatives, I was asking some friends about what they thought compassion was and and the challenges to compassion. And it it was very enriching for me because I I do see compassion, you know, the root word, suffering with. Um, Mm -hmm. I myself know that um, to be compassionate is very painful. You know, it it can be very overwhelming. And um, even if I look at my own experiences, if I'm overwhelmed with my own pain, with my own suffering or what's happening in my own family situation, it's very hard then to go out and um, be compassionate um, with other people. By that I mean, um, in some ways, yes, it can open us up and help us see the suffering of others. But even it can be draining it can, um, you know, so I guess what I think is so important is how do we have conversations to ask ourselves, how do we see compassion and how do we see ourselves being involved? And we can't all do it the same way or mm-hmm. um, be the one answer. And so I was thinking about um, how important community is in our trying to be compassionate and, and um, how do we live with the complexity of our own situation of, and of life itself and the complexity um, of um, the paradox that there um, are no easy answers. And we, we kind of alluded to it earlier about how do we have a conscious, informed awareness of the situations, the geopolitical situation in our own country and in the countries from which people are migrating from um, um, the more understanding we have of um, the history and um, the political situation, the more we'll understand maybe 
uh, what is moving these person these people to leave um, one very difficult situation to go to another difficult situation so um I, I guess I would encourage, I encourage myself, but I encourage all of us to um, to keep on asking that question of compassion because um, you know we hear compassion fatigue, we hear mm-hmm. um, of um, you know Pope, Pope Francis and Laudato Si encourages us to realize that no action is too small, that each step or no step is too small, each action makes a difference. Um, so that um, not to feel we have to solve the problem, but um, perhaps right. even just reaching out and getting to know someone who um, is an immigrant, um, reaching out to an organization and maybe inviting them in to speak to a group about um, um, do they have someone who can come and share their story, share their journey, because that sometimes opens our eyes up to um, mm-hmm. what another situa- another person's situation is. Right. I think that you made, Amanda, your points are really important, and certainly compassion fatigue is, is a big issue. And, um, you know, our previous guest spoke about taking care of ourselves. I think mm-hmm. that's really important that we take care of ourselves or, that, or else we're not there. We really can't be there and compassionate for anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is that is important, and then, as you said, you know, getting to know people. I think it's easy to. I, I just heard a um, a quote. I think it was from Michelle Obama that it's easy to. It's hard to hate up close. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hmm. I think that's very well said. I think that you know one of the things that. Um, uh, frequently comes up in the immigration task force meetings uh, for the sisters is stories. You know that that the sisters and and others want to hear more stories of, of immigrant experiences, and um, I think that that's exactly aiming for what you just said to try and bring a, a complex maybe somewhat abstract issue down to the very human level of what is going on with this person in his journey. Mhm. Mhm. So, you know, what do you think are some of the benefits of being compassionate in general? I know it's painful. We talked about how it's difficult sometimes and painful. Um but you also mentioned how great you felt, Bill, when you were able to, you know, when you're, you're when you're able to show compassion. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of benefit. I've, uh, you know, I was reading a book by um, the author is Bupten Jinpa. He's um, he is a he used to be a Tibetan monk, and he was the translator for the Dalai Lama for over 30 years. And he wrote a book all about compassion. And he writes in the book that it's the secret ingredient to happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As difficult as it is and as painful as it is, 
I mean, the way, well, I the way that I... By, mm-hmm. Go on. Well, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I was struck by Bill's comment, which I hadn't heard before, that compassion is a human expression of God's love. And mm-hmm. if you think of it that way, a, it could be painful and it could be challenging and frustrating, but what could be more wonderful than to actually experience God's love? Uh, and so I think that's where right. the good feeling comes from right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in my, in my younger life, um, I was the recipient of some very um, important signs of compassion given to me uh, of people that, that uh, truly showed that to me. And as I look back on those people, those individuals, I can see how they didn't just help me. They helped so many other people uh, as I look at where their lives brought them and, and everything else. And it's, um, it's a real gift. There's a, there's a book out on the Beatitudes, and it changed my focus on, you know, I said earlier that I do feel good um, when I am able to show some compassion, but um, it's it's really a gift, um, and that I shouldn't be saying, boy, um, it's good you're capable of doing that, Bill, but it's good that somebody, a God, has instilled in me the opportunity to show my compassion. It mm. um, mm-hmm. puts a whole new um, world yeah. on And I think when you say what are the benefits of compassion, and um, I don't want us to shy away from the suffering because we know we know from um, (laughs) we know from the science from um, really getting into what it means to be part of a 13.8 billion year history. We know that life comes through the struggle, through the challenges, Um, Mm -hmm. and. And so I guess how I see compassion is, um, and I had a good example of it the other day when I went down to the vigil, the fast for Yemen, is there was a stirring in me. I mean, I was watching these images of mothers and children, you know, this mother holding her, her um, I don't know if they said five-year-old or seven-year-old child, 11 pounds. Um, I saw that in... Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, so there was this call to to join. Not I, I, I didn't do the nonviolent resistance, but I went down to stand with the people and to pray. And there's a stirring in me. And, and how do I handle? Mm-hmm. How do I handle that pain? And it was a stirring within me to to stand up for life, to say yes to life, to say yes to peace, to say yes to nonviolence, to say yes. We want to stand with the children with the mothers, with the people who have to face war and violence every day, and to stay in that situation and to be in that in a contemplative way is very hard. And I, and, and I think we will have to learn how to do that because that's what gives us life. When we listen to the stirrings um, within us, um, and we all know that answering a call, um, mm-hmm. when we choose one thing, we say no to another, so we have to be very careful what we say yes to, or we have to be discerning what we say yes to. So um, I see compassion, yes, there is the suffering, but uh, Teilhard de Chardin talks about suffering, and he says when we understand this as not 
something that's so negative, but uh, maybe a negative energy of past, it, uh, an energy that um, that um, it, it might not be the the active energy that we see of going about doing good, but we're you know sitting in this and being in this acceptance of pain and suffering that there there is the birthing of new life. It's sort of like mm-hmm. that dark hole, that uh, dark energy we hear of. So I guess I think part of it is, and that what is that quote from Paul that says um, um, about uh, when we when one suffers, we all suffer. When one is joyful, we're all joyful. And it really is mm-hmm. about it's about understanding that we are we are all one. We are brother and sister to each other, not yeah. just humans. And you know, um, and it is saying yes to life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I really, truly believe that in order to live a passionate life, we have to have compassion. Um, mm-hmm. Because, like you said, that there is a pain. That there, even to live a happy, joyful life, we do have to follow a calling. Sometimes it's at 3 o'clock in the morning that we get woken up feeling mm-hmm. like there's something that ha- we have to do. Our soul mm-hmm. is speaking to us. Um, but I, I do want to mention there was a study. There's actually a scientific study where they came up with a term called the Mother Teresa effect, and I think it applies here. Have you ever heard of that, the Mother Teresa effect? Not me, no. No? no. Okay. Well, they actually had people watching uh, movies of Mother Teresa showing compassion and doing compassionate, her compassionate work and helping people. And the people who were actually even just watching the movie, um, they started to produce more serotonin in their brain, which is the chemical that makes us feel happy and helps us sleep better. And they also produced more of the um, endorphins which are also mood elevators and pain relievers. So there actually is scientific evidence that it's good for our health and our mental health to do, I mean, they found that also with people doing compassionate activities, but even just watching it, even just observing it, being present, it's so powerful that it even helps with that, just watching it on an old movie. (laughs) That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you I'm know, gonna watch painful. the movies of Einstein. Einstein. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Einstein was compassionate also. So yes, yeah. yes. yes, he was. <laughs> uh-huh. You can also be, you can become a genius and have those benefits at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Mara, what that that reminds me of, because I know you were concerned about what people can do and and all that, and and so mm-hmm. that, in some way that does speak to community, even community through social media or, or other forms of media, and how discerning we have to be about what we listen to or what we watch, because we are affected by it. We are affected Absolutely. by it, and we want to have more of the Mother Teresa effect, maybe than some of the other effects, but I think also of um, 
how important collaboration is. And that's why I was so glad that Bill and John could join me in this because um, the way the Sisters of Charity, at least those in the United, uh, those in the United States uh, here in New York, you know, as we get older, we are not able to be as active out there doing stuff. And so we're, we find more and more of the, um, the wealth and the richness of collaboration. And John and Bill have been, and others have been just such gifts to us. But I, I just want to mention here because it, it, does, it is important how we get our information and, and who, who we might turn to. And, and I think of groups like um, John mentioned, New Sanctuary Coalition. There's certainly one um, country, um, nationwide, but also we have one in NY, uh, here in New York City. And our New York State and uh, New York Interfaith um, uh, the New York um, Immigration Coalition, but um, Bill mentioned the bishops, and uh, we have Justice for Immigrants, and and these are these are groups that when you visit their website, you really get stories of the people and what they're going through. Migration Mondays out of Justice for Immigrants, they have a, a new story every Monday on um, um, on their hmm. website that will let you know um, um, not only uh, what uh, individuals and families um, have experienced, but also some of the communities here in, in the states that um, how they've reached out to them. And um, uh-huh. I know um, no matter what faith based, what faith people are, they could probably go to their um, national group and, and hear what they're doing regarding our own migration problem here in the states. But certainly, um, Catholic charities um, and I. We've gotten emails from Catholic Charities in San Antonio, and you hear of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people they've helped. Because many times, for instance, because the detention centers might be full, they will put waves of people out on the streets. And so there's mm-hmm. this need for money for a temporary hotel, uh, bus, you know, bus tickets, because these people have been processed, and now they have to go from San Antonio or city in uh, town in Texas to California to Michigan to wherever a family member is, and these people are just, you know, uh, sent out of the detention center with nothing. And then all right. these volunteer groups, and and that and that, that's one thing we have to acknowledge: the many many good citizens in our country who live near the border and in these towns who are just providing um, this. Um, Outreach and the, the, the pantries and the food and getting supplies ready, toiletries, um, yes. trying to respond to these people. Yes. Yes, I do want to mention um, before we came on, um, Sergio Cordova, who is coordinates one of those grassroots groups, um, Team Brownsville down in Brownsville, where they bring uh, food that they've cooked in their own homes and also have collected donations of blankets and hats and coats and because it's kind of cold here right now, um, toys for the kids. Um, he mentioned that there is a GoFundMe, and he sent me the link, so I'm going to post it on my web post. I know, I've already contributed to their wish list. There's a wish list on Amazon to buy supplies, so I'm going to post that as well. And I, if you could send me any links that you think would be helpful I'll post those as well. Very good, yes. 
Yes, there's quite a few. Okay, and I'll I'll post those on the on the website on my website on the post about this show later tonight. So um, anyone listening could just go and and find those. Very good. Um, I really appreciate. You, all of you coming on the on the program this evening. This has been really interesting. It's a conversation, as you said, that I think everybody needs to be having, and I hope we started something, and maybe we can continue talking about it again in the future. Great mm-hmm. pleasure. Yes. yes. Thank you. Right. Thank you for what you're doing, Mara. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, thank, and thank you for what you're doing. <laughs> Okay. So, well, I want to wish you okay. a very good evening and and happy new year. And let's let's hope this year is a year of compassion. There you go. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. All right. Happy new year, Mara. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. You, have, you have a good evening. All right. Good night. Thank you. Bye. All right. So before Art knocks us off the air, I want to let everybody know what's happening next week. Um, uh, let's see. We will be in our Austin studio next week, and we'll be interviewing Jay Schneider, who's the founder of Bridge to Shore Interventions and Sober Services. Um, he, they conduct interventions both nationally and internationally, as well as working with families, attorneys, admissions specialists, physicians, agents, or anyone that may be concerned with a family, friend, um, family member, friend, or a loved one and is ready to help them gain access into a new way of sober living. And they also provide transport services to and from treatment in addition to sober companion services. Schneider, the founder of Bridge to Shore Interventions, will be joining us. And also joining us in the studio will be musician Robert Kraft, who will be talking about his life in music and will be playing some of his music. And we always have another important topic to speak about, so you'll just have to tune in to find out. And um, if you want to get those website links that I just spoke about, um, you can go to my website later this evening, and those will be posted on the web post about this program along with a podcast of this show. And you can also listen to previous programs there as well. And you can listen to this program once again in five minutes. It will be a podcast directly on Blog Talk Radio. That's B-L-O-G talkradio.com slash your golden years. And for information about upcoming shows and when my blogs are, are published, Go to my Facebook page, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. And that's it. The show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Spiked Up Productions, and sponsored by neurologist and memory specialist, Dr. Ronald Devere, and by, to my guests, Tammy Lee Shoemaker, Sister Carol D'Angelo, Bill Hurley, and John Alexander. And, of course, thank you to Art. Thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone.
Comes a time when you're all alone Comes a time, gotta write that song May not make any sense at all But it's up to you, keep a smile on your face Now I've been young mostly every day Just like you, don't you ever change Cause this world's getting pretty old And it's up to you, keep a smile on your face Butterflies down Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 